Welcome to Neighborly. Talent's Lament, House Number Eight, Little Street. Feathers lose their luster after death. Eyes turn from orbs of flittering intelligence to glossy beads, reflecting the LEDs set into the ceiling only begrudgingly. Death doesn't seem like a cold or silence when it happens to outside animals, particularly ones you've never seen alive. It seems like something they are made out of, like how puppets are carved out of wood, Dead birds are carved out of death, with a few feathers poked in for authenticity. The only movement in this corpse was the maggots doing their grim business in its chest, but they may as well have been cogs in an automaton. Not life. There was never anything living here. Lauren stared at it. Her eyelid twitched. It wasn't dead long enough to smell. It couldn't have been. It had appeared that afternoon. Before, there was no corpse, and then there was this one. So it must be fresh. She must be imagining the smell, the musty smell of the Natural History Museum. Not the main hall, but the cracks to the back rooms behind staff-only signs where she pressed her nose when she was a much younger and smaller person. She did not own a cat. She had no idea where the little body appeared from. Yet, she was not about to pry it open and look this fortuitously timed gift bird in the beak. She pulled up the website on her phone and typed in her tracking number. She had checked it so frequently she had it memorized. It was a book on taxidermy and how to do it at home, written by the renowned taxidermist Isabel Rutford. It would arrive tomorrow. Good time, good time. She could wait. She boxed up the bird in a Tupperware coffin and morgued it in her fridge, and she waited. Her dinner was in an identical Tupperware container, and she almost chuckled to herself when she did a double take reaching in to microwave it. Of course she would know if she'd grabbed the wrong one. But all the same, she ate her stew in the living room, so as to avoid the association with where the bird had been lying on her counter. And as she ate... She couldn't help but envision her fork poking through the entrails and slurping them up like scrumptious, fleshy noodles. After dinner, she whiled away the evening, flicking through the free channels on the TV, not really paying attention. Don't look now, but... Tomorrow, you will awaken in a brand new world of wonder. Where all of those wishes will come.
and took the blanket under her legs, falling asleep right there on the sofa. She was awoken by the doorbell. She tried to stand, but in her grogginess got tangled in the blanket, tripped and face-planted onto the rug in front of the fireplace. Cursing, she wrestled to her feet and went to open the door, perhaps a little too roughly, as the handle fell off in her hand. The doorbell ringer resorted to a timid knock, uh, I, uh, I pulled the door handle off, Lauren called out sheepishly. Oh, said a voice on the other side of the door. Yeah. I have a package here, um, for, a uh, uh, Lauren Bailey? That's me! It's too big to fit through the letterbox. Right, right, um... Um, uh, oh, I'll open the living room window, and you can pass it through? Mm, that works. Lauren went back into the living room, pulled up the blinds, and opened the window. The delivery person passed her cardboard box about the weight and size of a massive book. Lauren beamed at it, and thanked the delivery person without looking at them. When they had gone... She brought the book into the kitchen and started hacking through the thick cardboard before realizing ruefully that there was an easy open tear strip on the box. She managed to open the thing eventually, in any case. Though considerably less bulky once extricated from its packaging, it was a foreboding volume. Lauren chewed her lips. She went to the kitchen and carefully positioned the book right where the bird had been on the kitchen counter. Then she retrieved the bird. It looked successfully preserved, locked away from the air and heat and humidity that might let pesky nature have its way with it. She opened the book, intending to flick through and find the relevant page for what she should do next, when it swallowed her. She awoke with a gasp. She smacked the wall a few times before she found the switch to the lamp on her nightstand and threw light at the walls. The alarm clock glared that it was 5 a.m. But that couldn't be right. She remembered why she gasped. The bird! She sprinted down the stairs, huffing through her nostrils and searching for a telltale hint of rot, but there was none. It was pristine. She stepped into the kitchen. The bird wasn't on the counter. She checked the fridge. It wasn't there either. She stepped back and thought hard, trying to remember the night before, but there was nothing. Time seemed to have forgotten to turn the lights on. She had no memory past opening the book. That was unnerving. But not very. She had blacked out before, and of course there were times when she sat for too long, and when she stood up her vision closed to pinpricks and she had to wait for it to adjust, and sometimes her joints made chunky clicking noises when she walked, and sometimes things dropped and shunted about in her digestive system with thick, clunky movements. Those things seemed, to Lauren, just as severe as waking up having forgotten the day, and she hadn't called her doctor for any of those. So she saw no reason to for this. Well, if she had misplaced the bird and the book, or found a better home for them, it was possible that she had left her dirty dishes from the night before last in the living room. Typical. She went to fetch them, noting as she did that the door seemed to stick on the floor, 
She might have to get a carpenter for that. The cutlery was placed neatly inside her glass, which was inside the bowl where she had left them. She picked them up and was turning to bring them to the kitchen when a set of talons almost mauled her face. It was the bird, already stuffed and mounted in an attack pose that she doubted it ever held in life. Huh. That's interesting. The book was on the shelf beside it. As good a place as any, she supposed. She lifted the bird off the shelf to examine it closer. She didn't remember buying the soft felt that now lined the bottom of the mount to save the shelf from scratches. Or whatever it was that filled the chest out so proudly. Or the glass eyes that leered from their sockets, which she almost expected to turn and refocus, aiming their mad fury at her. It looked more lifelike, even, than those of its ilk that lined the telephone wires outside. Its feathers looked soft and thick and luxurious, and she was half sure there were more of them than there had been when it had first appeared. It no longer looked carved out of death. She carefully pulled at the feathers, looking for stitching, or any evidence of fastening. She found none. She squeezed it, gently increasing the pressure in her grip. It was soft and rigid all at once. It seemed to have give, right where a living bird would, and it was unyielding right where its bones might be. But it was as still as the silent morning air. Lauren found that achievement of finishing such a project in one day an encouraging stride in her new hobby. And if she had gotten so engrossed in it that she barely remembered the time slipping by, well, all the better. And now, as she thought about it, yeah. She supposed she did remember parts of yesterday. Trying not to spill her food onto the book while she took breaks from the work and cracked its spine, though she couldn't quite remember the contents. It must have been effective stuff, since the piece she'd ended up with was remarkable to her untrained eye. She allowed herself a smile as she tempered her rather masturbatory praise with her recollection of the Dunning-Kruger effect, which asserts that amateurs rate their knowledge far higher than those of an intermediate skill, or even experts. This was beginner's luck. Naivety killing her inner critic. She washed the dishes and ate breakfast, then sat down at her computer to do her dull, work-from-home tasks. At every other idle moment, she found her attention drifting downstairs, wanting to be in the room with her creation, with the book. When the working day ended, she would at last be free from interruptions. Three hours left. Three hours is six half-hours, twelve sets of fifteen minutes, thirty-six sets of five. It wasn't that busy of a day. She could take a break in fifteen minutes. In ten minutes. Read the book for five minutes. She had to get a glass of water downstairs anyway. She made it to an hour before the end of the workday before she succumbed to the urge and went downstairs. She woke up in bed. A slimy shiver lurched through her. She pawed through her memory for anything, anything at all from the previous night. Nothing. Not even a space of blankness where time passed, but light didn't. 
It was as though she had blinked, and now was here, in bed, freshly woken. Strange. But it was considerably less missing time than the previous episode, so she had even less of a reason to worry. She went downstairs and checked the shelf with a book on, to see if she had disturbed it last night. There was the book, with the glossy I. Rutford embossed on the cover, neatly tucked away like a treasure. And the bird... Lauren did a double take. The bird was not alone on its shelf. It had a new friend, a brown frog. The frog had taken up a merry jig, impossible in life, but quite delightful to the eye. With care, Lauren picked it up and found upon the skin not one seam. She did not remember finding a frog. Lauren wandered out to the back door, supposing, as someone with a passing familiarity with rationality might, that it could have chanced upon her doorstep after being dropped by some flying thing intending to eat it, or one of the cats that wandered Little Street. If either of those were the case, there might be some frog guts on the paving stone in her back garden. But when she pushed against the door handle, it refused to budge. She pressed her full weight against it. She pulled it closed and slammed forwards with all her might. Nothing. It seemed to be stuck. As though the frame had been slathered with some kind of incredible glue. She backed away. No matter. The frog must have come from somewhere. She must have found it, and then used what she read in the book to make it the end result. She had read of a place somewhere, was it Croatia? An incredible collection of frogs in different scenes. A barber, a dentist, a classroom, some fancy fairground scenes, all rather whimsical. Perhaps the book had detailed how he did it. If so, why couldn't she think of it for the life of her? As she was pondering this, her phone buzzed in her pocket. It was an email. From the Museum of Natural History. It read, Miss Bailey, your skill is even more evident in the second specimen than the first. It appears we have an assignment for you if you would be willing to assist. I understand you are having difficulty leaving your home at the moment. Perhaps we can come to some arrangement. Have it sent to you? Let me know, as soon as possible. Dr. Megan Kenny. She noticed, as she was holding up her phone, a small nick on her thumb that she did not remember getting. It weeped icker, like it had long given up on bleeding but stubbornly refused to scab over. Or perhaps she had been picking at it. She didn't remember where it came from. Lauren's head would not behave. Again, as a person who flirted with logic, she courted the rational explanation. She had found this Dr. Kinney online somewhere while researching taxidermy and had shown her what she had done already and she had been impressed. Maybe even offering Lauren a job. If she was, Lauren would turn it down. She simply wasn't qualified enough to do it, and a few flukes did not a taxidermist make. Though her memory did not completely leave, she found the rest of her day passed in something of a daze. She tried to focus, 
tried to break from the stream of buzzing numbness and graze the dry banks of lucidity, but it didn't last long. While preparing dinner, she found herself grating her fingertips into her cheese. It was really no trouble to patch that up herself. She'd always been a bit distractible. This day's state was an improvement to memory gaps, after all. Lauren woke up well-rested and in bed. She really couldn't be sure this time if she had lost time or not. The last thing she remembered occurred so late in the day that it was difficult to say if the haziness was due to the fog of sleep. And so she continued on her day. She was just taking the bag of porridge oats out of the cupboard when her phone rang. Hello, uh, uh, Lauren Bailey speaking. Where have you been? We've not gotten anything from you for the past three days. Lauren's blood ran cold. Who is this? It's your manager. Christ alive. Whatever weird hobby you've gotten into, drop it, okay? If you don't get into work soon, I'll have to fire you. Oh dear. That wasn't very clever, but... She could call her back when her head stopped spinning, when the pressure left her skull. Three days? That was too much to think about. For now, she had a door to answer. But as she went to do just that, she saw that the handle was still lying on the entry table and decidedly not attached to the door. She conveyed this information to whoever it was and received an impatient tongue-click in return. Right. Through the window, then? Not sure if it'll fit. Lauren went to her living room window opening it up wider than she ever had to fit a rather sizable box. Once the whole thing was inside, it was a wonder to her that it ever fit in at all. It was huge. It was a crate. The courier tipped their hat and left without a word, leaving Lauren with the problem of how the hell she would open it. It was nailed shut. She chewed her thumbnail as she pondered this which raised a stinging protest from the cut on her thumb, which was now a hot, angry red and fully sobbing at its mistreatment. It was pus-filled and odorous, as though it had been thoroughly neglected and exposed to all manner of contaminants for days. When her attention wandered back to the wooden box, the lid was loose, with the nails nowhere to be seen. She stared at it, wondering when that had happened. But then again, when had anything else happened? Why start questioning here? She shook her head and opened it. Inside was something musky and hairy, and on top of it was an envelope, and inside the envelope was a note. Miss Bailey, the Andy and Ibex, as promised, we are excited to see what you can do. Kindest regards, Dr. Megan Kenny and Dr. Isabel Rutford. Lauren didn't notice her hands were shaking until she was on the floor. It felt as though her temples might contract and birth her brain. The room danced around, taunting her, and the ibex in the box seemed to shift because now she could see the curve of its massive horns where she couldn't before. She had to do this. She couldn't do this. She didn't know how. 
She did all those other ones, so why not this? What if it turns out terribly? It will turn out terribly. Like the ex-homo in Borgia, she will make the Natural History Museum a laughingstock. Isabel Rutford. Rutford told her to do it, instead of doing it herself. What did Lauren Bailey possibly know that Isabel Rutford didn't? Nothing. Nothing. And yet here was Rutford telling Lauren to do it. To do it. To make the Andy and Ibex displayable. No. No. She had to do it. She had to do it better than anything else she had ever done in her life. But she couldn't do it. Didn't know how. How? She'd forgot doing it. She had to do it without knowing. But how? The book. The book. The book knew how. Uh, she ran to the book, lunged across the room towards it, barely noticing the shelves were stacked high with every little creature she could name. The wren, the robin, the red squirrel, the pine marten, all perfectly posed in a lively scene, barely noticed that the Andean ibex seemed to sit up in its box as though affronted by being ignored. No, her mind held only the book, the book, the book. And she did not wake up in bed. She didn't quite know where she was. Her back was against something hard. She realized she could feel her knees pressed up against her chest, pressing on something hard, but that was fine. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was nice, actually. The pain from her body had gone, even from her fingers and from the cut on her thumb. She was well made. She smiled with satisfaction as she realized she could not feel any stitches. Wait. Wait. That was wrong. She shouldn't be in the box. <laughs> what stitches? Wait. Something was moving. She was being moved. Oh. She went to hold her breath and realized to gasp that breath wasn't coming. But Lauren... Surely that removes the need to hold it. A good thing when you want to be quiet. Oh. Attempting to kick the box open is not a good way of remaining quiet. Why are you disappointed that it isn't working? Saved from your own foolishness by a lack of muscles, I would have expected you to be glad. Lauren was close to tears when the lid was lifted off her, but they were halted in their tracks by the face that greeted her. She had never seen the face, but she knew it. The gaunt cheeks, the waxy, dust-white skin, and the smile that gleamed and shimmered as though each tooth were a carefully chosen pearl. It was Dr. Isabel Rutford. Lauren, dear, she said, you have made a wonderful start. You don't need to worry so much about this. I can take it from here. Those words brought a relief of the kind that Lauren had never experienced. Hair loses its luster after death. Eyes turn from orbs of dithering confusion to relaxed, glassy beads, reflecting the fluorescent tube lighting set into the ceiling as though it was the only job they had ever had. What does life carve these unique and wonderful specimens for, if not to make a pretty corpse? We are destined for boxes that never rot, and fluids in our veins instead of blood to ensure that we never rot either. Why go to all that effort to preserve natural beauty if all you will do is hide it? No. No. 
Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Apple Art. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend. And who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's message in a bottle is for Eden. It reads, Dear Eden, please defrost the chicken. Due to my being lost at sea, I'll be coming home late today. Can we rewatch the terror when I get home? See you soon. Love you. Well, Eden, you know what to do. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. My name is Quill Taylor, and I have taken it upon myself to record my findings pertaining to the life of a young boy named Anthony Todd. Change is not something I'm familiar with, so starting a journal to keep track of all the thoughts that are swirling in my mind seems to be the most logical thing to do as a writer. I have just recently moved temporarily from an undisclosed location to a town called Moorgrove. They answered fairly quickly and greeted me with a smile and a good afternoon. We started to talk, just small talk and light conversation, but the topics were the same as the people at the bus stop. You just explain it to me. Why doesn't it work around you? Oh, it works. It still works. Okay, okay, okay. I believe I'll start on the second floor. to technology is not surprising either, as at this point I've come to realise that technology is still not very well received here. But that's the least of my worries at the moment. There's something much more important that I need to attend to. End recording. The Domestic Life of Anthony Todd is a podcast written and recorded by J.R. Steele and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. The audio is edited using Audacity, the free editing program. Thanks for joining me.